And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, here we go. Turn that microphone down. That's blowing everybody out. Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor-in-chief here at SciFiForMe.com, where I finally did post the review of Batman The Long Halloween Part 1, so you can go check that out, over on the .com. We're glad you're here. The live chat is open. Comments are open. If you want to send us feedback by email, you can do that as well, live from the bunker at SciFiForMe.com. We do have a newsletter. It just went out. You can sign up for that as well. And uh, we do want to give a shout out to everybody who is listening to us as a podcast. We've got listeners, looks like, in uh, Brazil, Russia, Ireland, the UK, Germany, Australia. Happy to have all of you along with us as well. And today is uh, something we normally do on the first Monday of every month, but since last Monday we took off for the 4th of July, we're doing it today, and uh, it's going to be hopefully of interest to some people. We're going to talk about money. (laughs) And, And joining us again like they do on the regular, Dan Danford, the founder and CEO of the Family Investment Center, and Matthew Stevens, who is an independent investment broker advisor here in the Kansas City area. Welcome back, gentlemen. Good to see you here. So uh, Black Widow had their uh, had had their uh, release, and the box office is two hundred plus million. I think Disney put out a press release saying two hundred fifteen million. So I imagine we'll probably get to that a little bit. But I wanted to follow up. We'll start. We'll start off. Because apparently, uh, all of the all of the short selling activity that we've been talking about with regard to GameStop and AMC and 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 that sort of thing apparently has had some repercussions and some new decisions and rules have come down from the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. So I thought we'd start there. What exactly is going on with this? Uh, it looks to me like they've been established a daily limit move uh if the price moves more than 10 percent from the previous day they're not allowed to trade anymore is that your interpretation of the rule yeah that's i mean that's what i saw they're they're just trying to make it a little harder for people to be so speculative okay it almost looks like it carries over two days i couldn't quite i I think it clearly said that, but it seems they could have said it more clearly if that were the case. Is this is this targeted at any particular type of investor? Because I know a lot of there was a lot of chatter after the GameStop activity. Uh, people in the know and all of the all of the tastemakers and and rule rule makers up in in DC and wherever else in the financial markets. We're basically saying these retail investors are ruining it for everybody type of thing. So is this a reaction to that? Is this, you know, are we stomping on Reddit or is this something that 
is a is a consequence of the practice of short selling. Oh, I think they're, they're clearly stepping on the the smaller people who were manipulated. Well, who are <laughs> probably responsible for moving the markets more in, in a way they weren't res- expecting. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh, position limits or movement limits are quite common in futures. Every different futures market has a daily movement where trading stops, uh, but usually it's only one day. Uh, but it does. This one does seem to read that it lasts two days, which is, uh, you know, very odd. And so, in theory, you just if you're in, you can't get out. So, unless somebody wants to trade with you at that price. No. Yeah. So, what's the consequence yeah. of this? A little more. It takes some of the hysteria out of the market, in theory. Yeah. Dan, I cut you off. I'm sorry. What were you? What no, were you no. Saying? I was just going to say that, you know, the idea behind short selling is that, you know, you think the price of a stock is going to fall and you're going to be able to buy it back later and replace the loan that you took out earlier. Um, it, it is a very speculative trade. I mean, it really is. And the people who are short selling are basically speculators and what they're trying to do is take some of the heat out of the market and if you remember the GameStop thing was that you know there were there were short sales large institutional short sales and then there were the retail investors who were trying to drive the price up opposite of that all they're trying to do is remove some of that speculation out of the market not take it out not eliminate it but slow it, uh, you know, act as a set of brakes a little bit more. Whether it works or not remains to be seen. Um, GameStop, of course, was something that everybody followed. It was a huge deal. AMC Theaters has been another one that's uh, been an active play. And I think what they're just trying to do is, you know, maybe return some of the uh, economic factors to the marketplace instead of just the speculative factors. Right. Well, and I'm looking now, AMC is currently at $42.38. It's down eight and a quarter percent. Uh, it does look like it's kind of ticked up a little bit from a couple of days ago, but it's, you know, it's it's definitely uh, down considerably from earlier, earlier in the month. Uh, I think July 12th, it was at 45, 46. So it's it's steadily gone down. What what kind of impact would that have? Because now you've got the you've got the the country opening back up here in the, right. here in the states. You've got movie theaters that are starting to do business again. You've got you know now Black Widow is out as the the biggest the biggest box office hit since the pandemic hit. Right, and you've got two hundred and fifty million worldwide. What? If that, if you take that and you combine it with the recent activity from both the in, the the retail investors who boosted AMC stock, and then you have AMC sitting there going, "Well, hey, we've got this value now. Let's do something with it." What do you think is going to happen next out of all of this? And I well, and I know I'm asking you guys to speculate <laughs> on a on a on a my, let me thing let me that check nobody my knows what's ball. going on, yeah. right? Yeah, Let's, you know the magic eight ball. I guess the real question is, are movie theaters going to come back? Now, this film was released on 
multiple platforms. Right. I, do you know what the breakdown was? Uh, I saw statistics. Um, the the Disney Plus premium VOD element of this was uh, $60 million. And you've got $80 million domestic box office, 70, $78 million international, and then 60-plus 60, $60 million from Disney Plus premier access, which is basically... If you have Disney Plus, you pay an extra thirty bucks to see this film. That's what they do with Mulan. So you know, two hundred and fifteen globally, and it looks like it balances about the same. You know, eighty million domestic, seventy-eight international. So that's pretty good performance, all things considered. I mean, it's certainly not what you've seen with Marvel movies in the past, but given the circumstances, you know. I'd like to see a breakdown of that, how much ran through AMC theaters. Yeah. So I wonder if that's available. Um, I'm not sure where that would be. So, Oh, uh, he's going to say minus China. I don't know. Did they, did they release it? I'd have to look. Can we look that up and see if they released it in China? Because I think, I can't remember if China let it go or not. I know that uh, they're not, I know China is hesitant on... Shang-Chi and the Eternals, but I was thinking that Black Widow was going to be part of that uh, Chinese release. So uh, we're going to look into that. The real the real question um, that Matt raises, which is really important, is, you know, AMC only cares about their portion of that. Yeah. You know, and the value of the company is a reflection of what people think their profitability looks like going forward. Okay, Mm -hmm. so you take that 80 million and, you know, you have to somehow or another massage those numbers to come up with, you know, not just one movie, but 10 different movies over the period of time going forward. It seems unlikely to me that the company valuation and if you're actually looking at the numbers is worth as much as the speculative price made it, you know, three months ago right three months ago those investors were looking forward and they weren't looking at numbers they were just hey the movie theaters are going to open up again that means that amc is going to start making money it's been knocked off price i mean it's it's like the price is high i'm betting it's going to go higher that's a different that's a different kind of trade and a different kind of environment than looking at it and saying hey as we go forward i think the company is going to make x number of dollars a year Right. Um, so, so some of the some of some of what we're seeing with the short sales and other things is maybe kind of a return to the economic factors that drive stocks in the long term okay. rather than kind of the speculation that can drive it up or down in the short term. OK. And Mindy did find this is in Variety three days ago. Although China's censorship authorities approved Black Widow for release back in March. Marvel has yet to offer any indication of a release date for the key territory. So apparently it has not released in China yet. Well, and you know, that, that's a different issue. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's the distributor, not the theater. Right. And, so, and to your you point, know, that, that, that wouldn't have anything to do with how AMC performs out of all of this. Well, it may have something to do with it, but it's not the driving factor. Right. I mean, you know, that, that, Bottom line is everybody's got to make money, but what AMC cares about is, you know, in the in the old car expression thing, butts in seats. 
Yeah. I mean, that's what they care about is is people coming in and watching the movie and buying popcorn and drinks. That's where they make their money. Well, I suppose the success of Black Widow, such as it is, would probably encourage other people to say, hey, everybody went out to the movies. Everybody's okay. Nobody's dead. Let's uh, let's all go to the movie. Because a lot of people were sitting there saying this is the first time that they've actually been out since this whole thing all began. So as vaccinations go up and in certain areas and and people start to feel a little bit more comfortable getting out in public i would imagine that box office performance is just going to go up across the board so cinemark regal amc all of those guys will probably see some sort of a boost after this i would think we went and saw we went and saw the Heights uh, a month or so ago. It was the same thing, as I recall. The opening weekend on that may have been eighty million domestic box office. So you know you're it's in the same ballpark, yeah. and you know the more of those, the better for the theaters. But looking at the uh, longer term chart, before COVID hit, uh, the high of AMC was trading about twenty dollars, and now maybe we're completely through this, and it's. Uh, trading at double that. Now, maybe they've done some things to cut expenses. I really don't know about their yeah. financials, but uh, the last five years, the highest stock uh, back in 2016, the highest it was 34. So we're still above that. It's been uh, almost 60 this year, I believe. What would so, be, in, in your opinion, what would be the smart thing for them to do with this? I mean, in my mind, I don't see... I don't see it being a good idea to go out and just build 12,000 new screens. What what could they do with a value that's gone up without increasing their expenses to the point where it kind of uh, becomes, becomes kind of a, a net negative? Well, I would certainly be looking at issuing stock at this point and <laughs> how you make more money going forward. I not totally sure, but mm-hmm. I assume they want to focus on making every seat uh, more profitable and being prepared for smaller crowds in the future. Right. That, hopefully that's wrong. I love going to the theater. Love seeing movies in the theater. I'd much rather do that than uh, see them at home. But that's me. But I haven't been back yet. Yeah. Uh, for fear, I just haven't. haven't well, uh, and you also... Both before the pandemic and after, you know, more theaters are serving like uh, mixed drinks and things like that. I mean, if you look into the restaurant, the hospitality business, mm-hmm. you know, an awful lot of the profit margins come from alcohol. Right. You know, which probably tells you why they offer it more and more at movie theaters and stuff. It's not uncommon for people to buy popcorn and, yeah. you know, uh, a bottle of scotch. Uh, as opposed to uh, Diet Coke. And I guarantee you the profit margins are ever bit as good. Yeah. Well, now let me ask you this, because uh, I saw I saw a discussion here, and I don't remember where it was that I saw this. But my, my personal theory was that coming out of the pandemic, uh, in order to keep profits relatively reasonable and expenses down i i figured that the studios would start looking at making smaller pictures you know low lower budgets in the in the in the tens of millions not the 100 and 150 million and it seems like some of them are doing that except 
they're leaning toward all of those smaller films going into streaming services. People are investing into that more than anything else. I heard somebody, uh, the statistic I saw was something about a new movie every week on it on one or more of the streaming services, and I'm thinking that's that's an awful lot. And we get into that paralysis of choice where you've got so much to choose from that you just decide I'm not going to choose any of it. And the concentration of big tentpole blockbusters in the movie theaters, that doesn't seem aimed toward helping the movie theaters. Because if people are going to be encouraged to stay home and watch movies, because we're rolling out a new movie every month that's maybe cheaper, and you're already paying for the service, it doesn't seem like this is going to be a, a win for the theater chains I would expect maybe I I think if you're creative you know if you're creating content you want as many platforms as you can possibly get on for your for your content right and uh, the movie theaters are still going to be one because they offer a, 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 an experience that's not matched anyplace else but it's kind of like uh, the big three TV networks, you know, um, they just simply can't have the same share that they used to have when there were only three choices. Right now, there are a hundred choices. They're still viable. They just aren't. They aren't dominant in the same way they used to be. Yeah, I. There is so much product coming out. I know yeah. a few years ago, Netflix was slated to make, I believe, sixty-five movies in one year. I don't know that 65 good movies have been made in the history of <laughs> yeah, No. I'm not sure they're worried about them being good or not, Matt. That's I think it's true. just, you That's know, true. it's new. And so it's something unique and it's something they haven't seen before. And you've got that that novelty aspect of it uh, that I think is probably factoring in as well. But Well, I, and you also, you know, the, the cult of personality has gone up in some ways, but down in other ways, you know. Yeah. It used to be there were, you know, a dozen big name movie stars that you'd go to the show and see yeah. when they came out. Now you've got all these uh, influencers and, and you know, uh, the Kardashians and others who uh, have a lot of celebrity, but don't necessarily have a lot of product or a lot of allure that, you know. If you can watch the Kardashians on TV 10 times a week, you aren't likely to go see them at the theater. That's just my opinion. Right. Um, I, so I'm not I, sure I, I know anybody who could who could who could stomach <laughs> watching the Kardashians 10 times well, a week. Exactly. I, but I you know what? I don't know them, but they're out there. Mm-hmm. That's right. Somebody's yep. watching them. Yep. I'm just telling you. No, I know. I know. Well, the, every episode. yeah, the other part of that, though, is when you have, like you say, Dan, when you have that cult of personality, you're not going to be able to get uh, somebody like a Chris Pratt or a Benedict Cumberbatch or a Scarlett Johansson in every single movie that you put out. I mean, that's just not that's a true. sustainable model. So you're going to be cranking out all of these movies, a new one every week. And the likelihood that you're going to know anybody that's in the cast or the crew uh, starts to diminish rather rapidly, I would think. Because now this that could be an opportunity for us to discover new talent and new faces and new you know the new stars. But it also feels like it's one of those crank them out 
cookie cutter McDonald's have it your way but not really type of operations where we're just going to we're just going to kick these things out and I guess maybe kind of like what Hallmark has been doing all these years you know they find a particular franchise in their movies like The Good Witch for example that's just coming coming to an end but they made what seven or eight films out of that series and they and they've discovered you know one or two or three movies of the week that go really popular and they say okay well let's just do this again and they start replicating that model and maybe the studios are hoping to do some similar type of thing well there hasn't been a whole lot of purely original content come out of hollywood in a long time <laughs> I mean, it's we yeah. all know yeah everything's remakes and it's so rare you it's something that seems to be the least bit original. And it's so, uh, the risk is so great, you know, with those 200 million blockbuster films or whatever, where their production costs that much, you know, uh, it's real easy to lose a lot of money real quick by producing a few of those duds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big NFL fan and they talk about how there's nothing original in, in football. You know, everybody just copies what the successful people do. The same is true in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, they, 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 once you discover a formula, they're going to milk it for everything it's worth until it's not worth much anymore. And um, it's just it used to be that if Meg Ryan made a new movie, there's a group of people who will go see anything Meg Ryan's in. OK. Yeah. And and those kinds of draws are few and far between today. There aren't that many people that you say, man, I'm going to drop everything and go see that movie this week because I just love that person or whatever it is. It's just not like that anymore. Well, and I had said on a on a previous uh, episode here, uh, when you're talking about originality and Matt, this goes to your point about, you know, Hollywood making making things over and over and over again. I'm of the opinion that the next Spielberg, the next Catherine Bigelow, the next Angelina Jolie, Robert Redford, you know, Robert Rodriguez, George Lucas, they're going to come out of the indie scene. They're not going to come out of the Hollywood studio system. We're not going to get another Martin Scorsese coming out of Paramount or Warner Brothers, especially with Warner Brothers doing what they're doing. I Who knows what they're thinking over at Warner Brothers because that it it just feels like we're taking all of the wrong steps and I can't tell if they're doing all of this on purpose you know the the whole thing with uh uh Ray Fisher who with the with the Justice League thing and there was another one that came out here I think a week ago or so some people that were talking about uh, how Warner Brothers has has uh, been up to things, let's say. I can't remember the details, so I don't want to mischaracterize it. But that that has me uh, uh, an opportunity here to segue into our into our other idea, idea topic here, Warner Media, because we know that they're they're merging with Discovery, assuming that the federal regulators say it's okay. Warner Media sells CNN Center. Now, remember, those of you who uh, who may remember, CNN at one time was owned by Time Warner uh, in Atlanta, Ted Turner's operation, and Warner Media. Part of that is the is the successor to all of that. They've sold the property, 
So the actual building itself, CNN Center, Warner Media now no longer owns it, but they're going to continue as a lease with the new ownership. And the first thing that I thought when I saw this was that this was just one more indication that Warner Media is getting out. Thoughts? Yeah, I don't really have an opinion about it. It could just I don't really know the motivation for doing that, but it could just be a flat-out real estate uh, deal to change the tax. Per- I, I don't know about. I don't know enough about it to comment. Could this be something? Well, could they be? Could they be addressing some of their debt load with something like this? You know, they Absolutely. they sell it and and they get out from under that, but they still have the expense of renting, uh, which I guess is a tax write-off. But well, and and. You know, the other part of it is that uh, real estate prices have appreciated so greatly over the last few years. Uh, they may look at it as a once in a lifetime opportunity to cash out at a big profit. Yeah. To, you know, it just may just timing is everything. Um, but I, I do think I mean, I their decision not to employ capital in that way going forward tells you a little bit and I, I think you know you're probably right that you know when you've got money tied up in buildings and things like that it does reduce your flexibility and it does change the level of commitment you know part of your commitment is to support those buildings so if you sell them to somebody else it's a different story yeah well and and that actually kind of kind of goes into the other the other part of this you know you talk about uh, expenses and inflation and cash flow and value of things going up and you look at the current state of affairs in the U.S. and in terms of the economy with prices going up, uh, em- employment numbers being what they are, people people are not going back to work. We have a number of transportation companies that can't find drivers for the trucks You've got this major thoroughfare bridge in, I believe, Nashville or Memphis, I think, on I-40 that's yep. been shut down. That's a major artery for transporting goods, and now they've got to get around. Gas prices are going up. Um, the cost of doing business is increasing, I hate to say exponentially, but it really feels like exponentially. And, you know, this could affect, you know, in, in our in our sandbox here, you know, we look at travel to Comic-Cons, for example, you know, going to, you know, going to Chicago or going to Detroit, going to Houston, going to Dallas. All of that's going to go higher in terms of costs. Is this going to this going to continue for a while, do you think? I think gasoline is up, going up permanently. I can't imagine it will ever be any lower than it's been within the last few months. You think it's going up permanently? Yes. You don't see, well, you don't ever see a time where, where it comes back down for any, I mean, if let's, uh, not, let's say, let's say there's a reversal on the Keystone pipeline, for example, because the oil is still going from Canada to the Gulf. It's just not going through a pipeline. It's got to be transported different ways, which means more expense. But if that, if that were to reverse, you know, things like that, would would we get to a point possibly where we could get gas prices back down? Well, that doesn't really impact world production. The big thing is has been fracking. They've been trying for five years. The rest of the world has 
been trying to get America to stop fracking. Mm -hmm. And they successfully did it by forcing prices down to a level where it was, you can't, it costs about $50 a barrel minimum to frack out oil. And they got it below that and all the frackers went out of business. Yeah. So then you get, then you change government policies to essentially outlaw fracking and uh, you put prices wherever you want. (laughs) And so there's no fracking, it's not coming back in the foreseeable future. And I I think there's a very similar thing to that uh, playing out in like housing. Um, You know, I know people uh, both here and in Colorado who, you know, have sold their houses because the prices are so high. They've moved into temporary homes because they think, you know, prices are going to drop back down and they're going to be able to go buy something different um, Mm. with the proceeds from the first. I'm not sure that's really going to happen. I mean, I honestly think one of the reasons why prices are so high is because the cost of materials is so high. Oh yeah. You know, it's not, it is cyclical in that prices rise and fall, but you know, when, when you double the price of lumber in a house, it seems unlikely to me that it's ever going to fall back down by half again. I just don't see that happening. I just, not that prices won't fall from here, but for them to fall back to where they were three or four years ago, I don't see that happening. Well, and uh, so much money has been dumped into the economy. Trillions, yes. maybe yeah. three to five trillion dollars has been dumped into the economy the last, right. last few years. I mean, that's just massive. So. Uh, it was funny because I, I was like, I was trying to explain uh, monetary policy and, and the value of the dollar to my kid. He's 19 and we he's he's got his first car and the first thing you know gas gas prices are just so so high. I was like, well, yeah, and they're going to go higher. And he's like, well, why can't why can't we just you know? And it's that why can't we print more money? I was like, well, because we, the more you print, the less it's worth. And he had a tough time wrapping his head around that because, you know, <laughs> scarcity and, and supply and demand is like, you know, explaining to him that that China, China owns a bunch of a bunch of our debt. And he's like, well, why can't these countries if they if they own this, why can't they print money on their own? And it's like, well, it doesn't you can't do that. Uh, and I think it hurts that we're not on the gold standard. But yeah. The value is the value is what we say it is, and and that's gonna that's gonna come back to bite us, I think. Well, I'm a real estate investor, and as I tell people, real estate doesn't go up; the dollar goes down. Yeah, that's, that's excellent point. Case. And I think, I think the amount of money that has been pumped into the economy in the last couple of years because of the pandemic, basically, it's unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, we're sort of in a big monetary experiment right now. Yeah. How dramatic or, you know, it it could be. There are people out there now who think that economics has changed and that, you know, it isn't going to be inflationary. I, I, I'll listen to them, but I doubt that they're right. Yeah. But the question still becomes, you know, well, are we talking – Four percent inflation, or are we talking fourteen percent inflation? Four percent might be tolerable, fourteen not so, and we just don't know where it's going to go. I, right. I think. Well, and and you know we were in we were in Costco the other day, and I was looking at the meat prices there, and 
that's usually one of the places that I'll look at for uh, fairly good sized briskets because sure. you know that's something that's going to last for a while. And and a and a, normally sixty seventy dollars is yeah. now up almost twice that. You know, one hundred and fifty, yeah. hundred and sixty dollars. And I'm thinking that's that's more than four percent inflation right there. But you you've got that cost of doing business and you know the transportation and everything else and it's got to affect you know not just the housing and 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 gas but you look at hospitality and Dan like you were talking about with the people who are deciding to sell you have all of these people now that are like uh, Airbnb type of facilities right. well we own this thing or, or not and all of that is probably going to be affected as well because as people decide. Gas prices are too high. The expense of travel is too much. We're not going to C2E2 in Chicago. We're not, you know, I mean, Anime Matsuri just had their event down in Houston, and it looked like they had fairly good attendance. But I have to wonder how much of that was local and how much right. of that were people coming in from other places. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of people traveling great distances to get to events, whether it's Comic-Cons or conferences or or, you know, business conferences or, or seminars or, or anything like that. So there'll be a lot less of it, people that drive in particular. It will, there will be a lot less, especially to something like Comic-Con. I'm sure the people going out to uh, Jackson Hole this week will still find a way to <laughs> pay for their jet fuel or their hundreds of private jets that are going out there mm. to discuss climate change. Yeah. So. Not a bad way to go if you got to yeah. go. <laughs> I suppose. Oh, well, I okay, so what should we be looking for in terms of trends here in the next few months, do you think? Where where is the economy going to go? I'm 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 going to have you put on your your uh Oh, what was his name? Uh you're 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 young you're young enough you may not even know Carson. <laughs> Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson's uh Karnak. Karnak. Karnak yes, yes, thank you. Karnak <laughs> the magnificent. All right, so I'm going to ask you to put on your Karnak hats. Where are we going here in the next six months to a year? Do you think? I think uh, I think earnings for corporations are going to be continue to be really good for a while, even though there'll be things happen in government regulations that are trending to where it will harm them eventually. But there's a, just a lot of money being dumped into the economy, and as I say, earnings will go up even though their value of what they're earning probably won't may not change that much right but the economy's reopening it's a pretty good time to be an employee you know they talk about you know blue collar and middle america and all that kind of stuff there's truth to that i mean um when when companies are having trouble finding employees that drives up the wage for everybody and so I, I honestly think, uh, you know, that, I mean, Joe Biden said we're shifting the uh, the, the leverage back to the uh, workers. Well, I don't know if he had much to do with it, but there isn't much doubt in my mind. But what leverage has shifted back mm-hmm. to the workers? Well, it's um, almost a seller's market at this point because yeah, because people yeah. can't can't find enough employees. People don't want to work. I saw from a regulatory standpoint, one of the interesting things I saw is this new executive order that President Biden signed 
one of the things that he wants to get rid of are non-compete clauses and contracts across the board. Now, already they're not legal in California. Yeah. So in California, you, they're unenforceable. But part of this is he wants to eliminate them across the board in the United States. He says they they push down wages. They, you know, they restrict your ability to go someplace else and get paid more money. Um, it's, it, um, I just think it's interesting. It's an interesting approach. Um, is he right? Well, in yeah, at least to some degree, I think he's right. Yeah. In some industries, they kind of already exist in, in the financial industry. The compact, if, if you move right. from one advisor to another, they're, right. they are, uh, they're almost not enforceable. There's a version of it. Well, I know in the media, uh, especially in the news media, if you get a, like a television anchor, you know, a local news anchor, uh, they'll usually have something in their contract yep. that says you can't you can't work in this market uh, in the same position for six months. So basically, if you're if you're Fox affiliate, you know, you've got a, a morning news personality that just becomes a breakout star and then goes to work over at the ABC affiliate again. He, he can't actually start for another six months. So it's one of those, and and those non competes. I I don't know that I've ever heard of anyone uh, successfully fighting that. Well, that you know, we see it in our business where I I've you know I um, you know I've, everybody in our business has a non compete. You know, typically says they have to wait a year to work within fifty miles or something. Yeah. And I've had some young people who've kind of chafed at that. But the other side of it is, is I've spent a fortune on training them and licensing them and all. But what Joe Biden is saying and his administration is saying is that, so what? You need to be paying for training and licensing and all that for anybody you hire anyway, and the employees should be free to go wherever they can make the most money. It will change things in some industries for sure, but we'll see where it goes. And it, I mean, you know, like I said, it's an executive order, so I'm not sure it has the weight of law anyway, but it is something that he did in the last week. Yeah. Has it actually been put through? Well, it was an executive order. It basically, you know, the president signs an executive order and everybody treats it as if it's law and they're usually challenged. And I haven't seen specific challenges on this yet, but it, I mean, you know, it was interesting reading and their reasoning behind it was that, you know, if you free up employees to make jumps, if they want, they'll go to higher pay and it'll drive up wages for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, Strange I mean, there's so much proprietary information. Oh, absolutely. At absolutely. One, one company. I worked at a trading firm, and it was, it was very clear that when I left, we couldn't share any information for five years. So. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But then, you know, capitalism is under assault <laughs> in a lot of ways, and this would just be another one <laughs> in my mind. But. Yeah. All right, comrades. Well, I guess uh, I guess we could wrap up there and uh, and and do this again in a month. And the, any of you that have uh, have financial and and investment questions, all right. So how how would anybody find the two of you uh, in order to to follow up on things or or talk about other things that are finance related that that I wouldn't have anything to do with. I'll, I'll let Matt go first oh, if he wants. Well, I, I'm not really findable because technically I'm a, I can't really do advertising uh, okay. because I'm registered with a broker dealer. Uh, I'm also with an advisor, which I could talk about. But, uh, 
right so but uh, i'm on facebook and somebody could track me down at matthew stevens uh i'm the only bald guy on there so <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm happy to talk with anybody look exactly. for the look for the breaking bad cosplay yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the same with me it's dan danford at facebook um i um, started a company called Family Investment Center. You can find us on the website there uh, if you want to. But I'm always glad to answer emails or direct messages or whatever. And if if I don't know the answer, I'll refer you to Matt and he can give it to you. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> and uh, anybody who wants to give us any kind of feedback, you can certainly leave a comment on the video or send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. Matthew Stevens, Dan Danford, thanks very much for being here, okay. gentlemen. And we will do this again uh, first Monday of the month. So next, so August, it will be, what is it? The third, what is it? The second. August the second. 2nd will okay. be our All next right. session. We'll see what happens between now and then. And we'll be we'll here to talk to about it. it. All okay. right. That's going to do it for us today, folks. Don't forget, uh, coming up tonight on H2O, we have no idea what we're going to be talking about, but that's at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. And we have also, uh, over the weekend, dropped a new episode of Foreign Bodies. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Harvey, Ms. Walker, talking about horror from Ireland. And so we do hope you check that out. Also, we are starting to break out the events, updates, and weather into its own video. So it's a little bit easier for you to find. So uh, you can check that out. If you have not subscribed yet, we do invite you to do so. Have your notifications turned on. And we will do this all again tomorrow on the next Live from the Bunker. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.